Did you know that the Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon? <gasps> Would you like to access bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Yes. Join us in the, <laughs> Join us in the curiosity shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support, yes you, helps make the show happen. And will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Where all the secrets happen. Yes, all of them. (laughs) Like, none of them. But maybe soon? Yeah. We can change that. We can. Yeah. Anytime. You never know. We are wild and crazy. Oh, unpredictable. Also, <laughs> extremely, extremely sleep deprived. Yes. Yes. So we're going to be fun today. We are. Yeah. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, You'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. So, uh, hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily and slightly punch-drunk morbid, <laughs> and marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 1, Episode 10. You want me to put what in that bottle? <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie from Uber Dork Designs, an official murderino maker. Mm. All right. So, how are you? I'm excited. I'm tired, but I'm super excited. Ooh, I'm excited too. What are you excited about? In honor of our 10th episode, <gasps> our first merch is ready. What? <laughs> yes. Our first merch sticker reveal. <gasps> it's amazing. I'm so excited. I am super excited too. It's perfect. It is our logo. Yes. Mostly switched up a little bit with our tapestry in the background that you so wonderfully created with the scissors and the lock in and, or key rather. Um, yeah, that shit took then, forever. Right. <laughs> did and you did it so perfectly so i put it in the back yay it's pretty exciting and it'll be going out to our patreon members and then also we'll probably put it up somewhere for purchase if you're not a patreon member or you can just join patreon and get one it's true and if you you. are a patreon member and you haven't put in your address information you might want to go ahead and do that yes just Um. just saying the next one I'm going to print and cut is our kitty corset sticker. <laughs> Which is hilarious. We've sneak, I've sneak previewed it in the Patreon group. It's true. And then I am almost done with our patron Saint Francis Glessner Lee sticker. Yes. 
so I am really excited. I will hopefully just start being able to just crank out some more designs. Like I'm feeling really like design deprived. Like I have to be completely honest, like this quarantine, I am oddly intro and extroverted. Like you're an I, ambivert. I am. I am. Like when I am amongst my people, like I love it, love it, love it. If I'm amongst people I don't like or don't know, right. then I'm like, mm, no, I will stay home. Thank you. But I always, <laughs> I've always. Me always. <laughs> I've always used arts and crafts and I don't, and it was even before like I went to college. Yeah. Um, and studied art therapy. Um, but art I didn't and, know that. Yeah. Art and mm. Design and just, I am happiest when I am making things. I'm even happier when I'm making things for other people. Nice. But I have not picked, I have not played with yarn in months, which is so not me. Um, we I've need just, to not, get a little stitch and bitch going. Right? Like, like when just we're not recording at some point. I'm all about that. Yeah. Um, Weekly hangout. Yes, I'm in. Well, I guess so, we could do a weekly hangout with the patreon group i am down for that i don't know how to do like that but that's a thing we'll figure that out we're smart i guess we could uh, give them a link just like this one yes but yeah this podcast this podcast has really been filling that in a lot of ways which is weird because we're not crafting literally crafting things well we, but I we think, are actually right we're crafting we are crafting stories. Well, and but and designs and a website. Yes. And that's true. Like, um, we've both made actual things. We did. We did. That's true. Yes. Um, I'm so excited about that sticker. And this really is the first time I've seen it, just in case <laughs> um, my reaction does not. Uh, sound normal I, i'm an aspie robot forgive me but it's really cool bottom line in honor uh -huh. of episode 10 yes thank you this fucking podcast is everything and i love it and i'm so honored to be part of it yay i'm so, so glad that we started it mushiness. same 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 so that's my roller coaster well, <laughs> of a spiel for what's going on with me right now. I only so have one you. thing going on with me. You have a huge, that one thing is huge though. I went outside today. <laughs> Yay! Uh, and for those of you who are like, eh? Um, <laughs> I am agoraphobic and I think this is the fourth time I've been outside my apartment since March. Maybe 5th. I don't remember. But, um, so it was a big deal, and I dragged my ass out of bed at 5.30 this morning so I could put on all of my gear, my, my little, I, I got some kid, uh, sized masks because adult ones don't fit me and they have planets all over them and i also have uh, because i am crazy um i also wore a face shield and That's you know what it crazy. says across the top of these face shields 
Oh, what does it say? Child face shield. <laughs> I love that you're child size. <laughs> but you know what? All of that gear was fine. And what I was doing was going on my normal morning run that I used to do every single day, generally speaking, rain or shine, for years before this pandemic. And I haven't done it since March. And I feel fucking great. I'm so fucking proud of you. I'm not going outside tomorrow, though. That's fine. That's fine. But I have plans to do it on Wednesday. There you go. I mean, that's a huge thing to disrupt anybody's schedule. Yeah. But I know that most of the time, mm-hmm. an a, a schedule is very important to Aspie people, um, <laughs> especially. I organize things for fun. Yeah. yeah. That uh, is so I, my, well, making things to you, organizing mm-hmm. is to me. I've been Which watching is funny, a since lot. I'm a professional maker of things. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, how I organize my studio lately. And also, oddly, I have my new food porn is watching charcuterie boards be made. You know, that, they, they keep showing up. Of, All of my friends are eating them. And they kind of contain... So here's the thing. Yeah. They kind of contain all of the foods that I like. Okay. It also, like, my kids grew up, and I grew up kind of just being a nosher. Yeah. So, like, small nibbles throughout the day. Also, and I think you can attest to it, it's just pretty much bougie Midwestern fucking cheese and crap. Well, it's eating like a toddler, (laughs) except you put it on wood. So then it's, it's suddenly classy. Yeah. Like, I'm not, uh super and to the bougie aspect but just the they, it looks pretty and there's just little bites of you know nuts and fruit and hello wisconsin i'm all about fucking cheese um and meats which i know cheese and meats are not your thing alas can you do goat cheese i can't do any kind of oh. uh dairy protein i just want to hug you yeah, it's it's real sad. I haven't had cheese in like twenty years. Oh my god. Yeah. But yeah. So that's my weird like check out of reality stuff in the, in the background is this is how I organize my home studio, and because uh, I that just stresses me out that. because I want to tell them how to do it better. Um, some of the ones that I've seen, uh, they're heavy into the IKEA and com- and container stores. Which those oh. those tend to have a good grasp on stuff. Sure. Uh, Do you know? I've seen s- that the application process for working at the container store is the hardest hiring process I have personally ever been through for any job. Oh my goodness! I did not. Yes. I don't. I don't know if we have a container store. <laughs> I'm not allowed to go into container stores. <laughs> um, I uh, I may have to to order. Although it's it's interesting because there's a lot of i a lot of IKEA hacks. Yeah. Uh, that are similar of the the container store, and I do I do love me an IKEA. Um, 
But so I've been watching, I've been choosing wisely in my studio organization things. There's some people are like, no, you've got no business showing other people. And I'm not trying to be judgy, but nothing about that is good workflow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, and for the record, I did not accept the container store job. I got a much lower paying job in book publishing instead. Because Ooh, that's, that's what I moved to New York to do. They came in, the offers came in the same day. Ooh. It's like, do I organize everybody's life who walks in the door forever? <laughs> or do I enter the disorderly world of book publishing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a... Yeah, where I worked wisely. in sales and marketing. Ah. Uh, so I talk to a lot of librarians. See, librarians are some of my favorite people. Oh, library to. conferences are amazing, and librarians oh. will drink you under the fucking table. I have never I in my life <laughs> been to conventions that were so boozy. Like, we're talking flasks on the show floor. Boozy. No, okay, that, that and does by boozy, good... I meant boozy. Too close. Too close. But also bougie. <laughs> that does trump gamer conventions. Yeah. Because I've seen some some fellow D&D nerds party it up after after convention hours. They get they get pretty oh yeah pretty silly. Uh, I mean, but yeah, I, I have never seen anything like librarian conferences. Like the Public Library Association. Those women can throw down. And it's That's largely new goals women. Now. See, and that would yeah. be a social function. Yeah. That I would not be looking for a pet. They to be drank fed. me under the table when I was 22. Ooh. <laughs> and all I'm saying nice. is that my order at 22 was two shots of vodka, a pitcher of beer, and a glass of water, which nice. I would. You did sh- not come to play. No, no. I would <laughs> hit the two shots a vodka, drink the glass of water, and then drink out of the pitcher of beer because I'm classy like that. Also, it's hilarious when a five-foot-tall woman is walking around <laughs> drinking out of a um, pitcher of beer. that's the size of her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, beer steins are bigger than my head, so you can imagine how... Um, amazingly Ooh. ridiculous that was yeah see now i kind of want to etch i want to etch our logo on some beer stein that is a thing that we can do i'm looking at etching cream at this moment you know who i would also party with because mm. our curiosity shop members hell yes absolutely we should t- uh, totally take a little quick break of my rambling to thank all of our fantastic <laughs> curiosity shop members over on Patreon and gave a totally normal, not at all creepy, no. and fairly certain correctly pronounced oh, with no. love to our newest members, Charlotte, Elaine, and Bex Trichelle. Well. Uh, side note, Bex totally told me how to pronounce her name because she's one of my dearest friends and a super badass unicorn bitch and I love her. But so, yep. Welcome, Charlotte, Elaine, and Bexy Poo. Yay! Thanks, guys, gals, non binaries, whatever. 
all all the things, all the people. Oh. Yep. Uh wow. I feel like we just went on a journey. We did. We did. Really? We absolutely did. Yeah. So since we went on that journey, I feel pretty certain that you Patreon patrons are the best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. No second thoughts. No second thoughts. I'll bring an extra flask. Good, good times. So uh, today we're going to even talk about some, not just liquor bottles, but other stuff in bottles. Well, I mean, sometimes there's liquor in them. True. That is true. Yes. Uh, We didn't decide who was going first. Who's going first? I'm cool either way. I don't care. Why don't you start us off with uh, tomb curses, right? Tomb curses. Yes, 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 yes. A thing I would not fuck with, for the record. No, no, no. Uh, You see a curse on the door? You do not break that seal. So... Um, if you've been listening to any, uh, well, to us for a while, um, especially, uh, episode six, that's an unwrap, then you've heard (laughs) us talk mummies, and you've heard me gush about my newfound love for all things ancient Egypt. Yes. So, I loved taking on tomb curses here. I'm and so excited. I am too. It's it's interesting because there is open interpretation to some extent of what exactly a tomb curse is. Well, and also just translations, especially if you're talking hieroglyphs. Like, oh, yeah. there can be several meanings like, I love your mom, or you will die. <laughs> and they're the same True. thing. True. So I'm That's going true, one. By the way. I don't think. <laughs> so I'm going one route. Yeah. In this episode. And if you were tuning into our Patreon, I take on the other route there. Ooh. So um, another thing that has been mentioned uh, in our mummy thing is the care and prayer that went into the preparation of mummies. And yes. how just fucking extensive and it's really beautiful. moving it's it's a it beautiful is. process the afterlife life was given so much thought and care that's where i fell a bit in love it makes sense that they would protect them then and the tombs that house them right today i'm going to talk about those protections and specifically the curses and also like episode six the mummies and curses that i'm talking today are specific to the egyptian culture okay uh, and before I dive in, I'm just, I'm going to give a heads up, little warning. I'm going to be cussing out some more white people for colonizing and bastardizing ancient cultures they got no damn business messing with. So, And yet, and yet, we and yet. Uh, clearly come from those assholes. Right? Yeah. Right, right. So we uh, get to call them out on their shit, except they're dead. Absolutely. So yeah, well, I'll I'll cuss their entire family generations deep on it. I don't care. I mean, so. unless their family's been doing the work. Right, right, right. That's true. Then we encourage. Them. Yes, but uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so uh, this this whole show exists because we love us a, a, a deep dive. Uh, and yes. 
each topic involves a fair amount of sifting through fact versus fiction. And yeah. we're not going to discount the fiction because it's fun. But we also do our best to accurately cover things. So yeah. I decided to go from the standpoint of the first thing that pops into people's heads, usually when they hear tomb and curse together. At its most basic, uh, a pharaoh or mummy or tomb curse is a curse alleged to be cast upon anyone who disturbs mummy of an ancient Egyptian, especially a pharaoh, but the curse doesn't care who you are. You could be a thief, an archeologist, someone's grandkid. It is claimed to cause everything from bad luck to illness or death. Now, actual <clears throat> written- <coughs> Right, right, right? I'm gonna touch on that. Touch oh, on sorry. That. That's okay. Uh, I enjoy your enthusiasm. Um, I, always. So, yes. So actual written curses related to tombs and their contents are actually pretty rare. The reasoning being that, well, that kind of fuckery was pretty much unthinkable. In fact, it was thought to be dangerous to even just write about it. Now, they can huh. most frequently be found during the Old Kingdom era, which I'm going to cover quite a bit, and that's about, or circa, for you historians and proper wordage, uh, 2686 <laughs> to 2180 uh, 81 BC. Uh, the tomb of Octify, uh, which was from the 9th and 10th dynasty, contains the warning, any ruler who shall do evil or wickedness to this coffin may hem in a local deity not accept any goods he offers and may his heir not inherit. Well, shit, man, they're messing with inheritance law. <laughs> yep. They're like you and your family. Uh, so they're they're of the if they ain't doing the work, they ain't getting anything either. Uh, oh, wait. And that's to a pharaoh. Yeah. So that one cares who you are. And also one... your kid's not going to be the next pharaoh. Oh, no, it's any. Well, yeah, I mean, it's any ruler. So, yeah. Um, in that one, it's it's a ruler. Uh, so, but the tomb of Kentika and Kehi, mm -hmm. uh, which was also the ninth and tenth dynasty, contains an inscription: "As for all men who shall enter, this is my tomb. Impure there will be judgment, and end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him, which is my new tombstone." <laughs> Holy That's shit, badass. I would not fuck with her. Right? Uh, Him? Them. Them. I We're would not them. fuck with them. Right? Curses after the Old Kingdom era are less common, though more severe. Sometimes more severe than that? Yep. Sometimes they invoked the ire of Thoth or the destruction of Sekhmet. Sekhmet, yes. Zahi Hawass quotes an example of a curse. All right. Cursed be those who disturb the rest of a pharaoh. They that shall break the seal of this tomb shall meet death by a disease that no doctor can diagnose. Which is some pretty... Ooh, not just cure. Like, they right. can diagnose. They were like, mm, yeah, no. Like, I don't want them to be able to figure out what is wrong with you. Man, are these people responsible for endometriosis? <laughs> Because right. that shit's rough and doesn't get diagnosed nearly as early as it should. Uh, I do not have I, it. I just have good friends who do. I blame that that whole 
clusterfuck of not diagnosing and treating it responsibly uh, on the patriarchy and the lack of attention well, to it is the female care. Fault. Right. Um, they still don't know how lady bodies work. No. Why? Yeah. Mm, that's a whole nother Yeah, let's rant. not go down that rabbit hole. Woo. So uh, much like that mummification process I was talking about, protecting a tomb wasn't just for pharaohs. There are curses most commonly associated with them because, well, no one's trying to steal from a poor corpse. Uh, it. I mean, it unless actually... you want to export the mummy for True. unwrapping parties. Oh, yes. Which yes. we covered. They're very problematic. Oh, that shit's in here too, girl. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. So if actual written proof of curses isn't all that common, then... How did the mummy's curse earn its rank among the world's most famous curses and all of the many stories, movies, and lore based on it? Short answer, fucking colonizers. So hieroglyphs weren't deciphered until the 19th century. Right. But Europeans started fucking with tombs long before that. Some mystery and some science, bad things happened to people messing with them and word started to get around. Maybe don't mess with them then. Right? Just don't fuck with demons or remains. Like, no, no. Just simple. Simple stuff. No uh, summoning. No exhumations. It. Right, right, right. So in 1699, Louise Penisher wrote an, wrote an account in which he recorded how a Polish traveler brought two mummies in Alexandria via sea journey with these mummies in the cargo hold. Now, the traveler was alarmed by recurring visions of two specters, and the stormy seas did not abate. Oh, I've heard this story. Until the mummies were thrown overboard. Mm -hmm. So there are just mummies chilling at the bottom of the ocean somewhere, and that is a, I mean... That is extremely disrespectful, but also, huh. Right? I mean, I'm sure uh, they've been eaten and such, but. Right. Now, those you could, if you were planning on uh, taking those out and returning them, those you could mess with. Yeah. Now, our Yeah, that's fine. From, Repatriating is fine. Right. Yes. So, our buddy from earlier, Zahi Hawass, recalled that as a young archaeologist excavating at Kum Abu Bilo, he had to transport several artifacts from the Greco-Roman site. His cousin died on that day. His uncle died on its first anniversary. And on the third anniversary, his aunt died. Well. <laughs> Years later, when he excavated the tombs of the builders of the pyramids at Giza, he encountered the curse, all people who enter this tomb who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it May the crocodile be against them in the water and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in the water and the scorpion on land. Uh-uh. All things that I do not fuck with. Right. And I think it's interesting that they were like, dude, if you want to come pay your respects, if you want to chill out with us for a while, if you just want to poke around and look, that's fine. But if you come with evil intent, that's where we got an issue. Well, intent so, is... <laughs> The majority of what is or isn't wrong with fill-in-the-blank thing. Right. Uh, so, not superstitious. He still decided not to disturb the mummies. Good. Right? Good on him. However, later, though, this dumbass Wait, was this involved. was after all those people died, though. Right. Okay. So, he heeded the warning. Yeah. However, later, again, dumbass was involved in the removal of two child mummies. 
from the Bahiria Oasis to a museum and reported that he was haunted by the children in his dreams. No shit. To, wi to which I say, good, motherfucker, good. Yeah. Uh, so, but and that also, phenomenon. didn't he learn the first time? And why apparently didn't not. He, he die? Why does his family right. gotta pay the price? Right. Well, this phenomenon did not stop until the mummy of the father was reunited with the children in the museum. So he, in his infinite wisdom at this point, concluded that, hey, maybe mummies should not be displayed, though it was a lesser evil than allowing the general public into the tomb. Uh, he sure. also recorded an incident of a sick young boy who loved ancient Egypt and was subject to a miracle cure in the Egyptian museum when he looked into the eyes of the mummy of King Amros I. Like you do. So, right. Like, I would just be like... Those I, must be some it, eyes. They probably are. And let's face it, I would totally stare in those eyes and be like... You were an incredible human being, and I respect you and your people so much. And if you were to pop up and become alive suddenly, I would hug you. Like, I just, I am in love with mummies now. I <laughs> Not scared. I, well, I mean, mummies are humans. Right. I, I have no idea what they did or did not do in real life that was or was not a problem. But. True. But I'm down to high five a sentient mummy. Yeah. Yes. So, Louisa May Alcott Ooh. was thought by Dominic Montserrat to have been the first to use a fully formed mummy curse plot in her 1869 story, Lost in a Pyramid or the Mummy's Curse, which was a forgotten piece of mummy fiction that he re rediscovered in the late 1990. Oh, I didn't Montserrat know she wrote that. Yeah, well, Montserrat actually attributed the tales uh, at all to the unwrappings parties of the day. So well. he's, yeah, yep, unwrapping parties. And there we go. Um, but then two stories, it turns out two stories subsequently discovered by this S.J. Wolf, uh, Robert Singerman and Jasmine Day. Uh, the Mummy's Soul, which is anonymously written in 1862 and After 3,000 Years by Jane G. Austen in 1868, have similar plots. Wait, Jane G. Austen? Yep, in which a female mummy takes magical revenge upon her male desecrator. Wait, I is feel like that actually is true. I have a... A vague memory of Jane Austen actually having written uh, a mummy mystery. Um, and my literature and degree is failing me. I really gotta say that I'm super freaking impressed that at least two are female. One is obviously it was anonymous, so in my head, I'm thinking female as well. Back in that time period, we're writing a revenge of a female mummy taking it upon her, you know, male desecrator. I can get behind that plot line. Like, I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, so Jasmine, I think she mm -hmm. did. Um, I think so, too. Mansfield uh, Park and Mummies by Jane Austen and Vera Nazari. But is that, like... Is that, like, one of the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, though? Or is that actual? Do you know I, that series? Oh, no, I did. 
I was in book publishing when that happened, so I definitely know that. Um, (laughs) Sorry. No. uh, I... Yeah, it looks to me like that's got to be a publishing thing. Um, Um. Anyway, I... If people happen to know... Yeah, please. If Jane Austen wrote a mummy mystery... Let um, me know. Yeah, bring that information forward. Yes, please. Yeah. So Jasmine Day uh, argues that the modern European concept of curses is actually based upon an analogy between the desecration of tombs and rape, interpreting early curse fiction as proto-feminist narratives authored by women. Uh, the anonymous and Austin stories predate the Elcott piece, raising the possibility that even earlier lost mummy curse prototype fiction actually is out there for discovery yet. Okay, so, so they do say that Austin did. Yes. I so, thought I remembered and I, that. So, uh, so how did this Pharaoh's curse really take off then? Well, enter King Tut. In... <laughs> In his book, An Encyclopedia of Claims, Frauds, and Hoaxes of the Occult and Supernatural, investigator James Randi wrote, When Tut's tomb was discovered and opened in 1922, it was a major archaeological event. In order to keep the press at bay and yet allow them a sensational aspect with which to deal, the head of the excavation team, Howard Carter, put out a story oh, Carter. that... Oh, Carter. Yeah. I have feelings. I have feelings, too. Uh, So fucking Carter put out a a story that a curse had been placed upon anyone who violated the rest of the boy king. Carter did not invent the idea of a cursed tomb, obviously, but he did exploit the shit out of it to keep intruders away from his history-making discovery. So there wasn't actually? Well, I'm, I'm getting into that, too. I am uh, sorry. I just keep no, no, jumping right don't in. Don't be sorry. I'm no, so excited. That, I was going to say that denotes excitement, so I'm all about it. No apologies needed. Uh, so basically, giant publicity stunt combined with a little protection of its own. So, in fact, by this point, tombs of all royalty were said to have exactly the same curse and had been opened with no resulting evil effects. Howard Carter was far from alone in making an effort to scare away potential grave robbers with the threat of supernatural wrath. Again, I love when I find these little things. Uh, Indeed, a famous writer offered a very similar curse. Good friend, for less's sake forbear, to dig the dust and close it hair. Blessed be ye man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. That is William Shakespeare's epitaph, dating back to 1616. <laughs> so, though he's one of the world's most renowned dramatists, he was not being dramatic when he wrote these words. He was trying to prevent his corpse from being dug up by grave robbers. So, Which was a very <laughs> real possibility. Exactly. Post-mortem theft, grave robbing, totally common during Shakespeare's time and long before that. Yeah. So whether Howard Carter, King Tut, or Shakespeare truly believed in curses is pretty much irrelevant. The important thing is that those who might disturb their graves believe them. Yeah. And 
it worked nearly a century after Tut's tomb was opened, many people still believe it. So it is, of course, it helps that there are actual deaths that are deemed associated with the opening of Tut's tomb. And fairly so, some of them. Right. Now, Tut's uh, glittering treasures made great headlines, especially following its uh, the opening of the burial chamber, which was on February 16th, nineteen. That's my birthday. Yay! Happy King Tut matching Wait, what? Birthday. 1923, you said? Yeah. So good. Well, I was born in 83. <gasps> that. Uh, There's numerology in there. I'm sure uh, there is. <laughs> so, uh, the sensationalist accounts of the subsequent deaths of the expedition sponsor, Lord Carnivon. Bye! So, Peace out, homie. So, curse or science? That's where we have to... So, we're going now. So, in recent years... Ooh, is it a game? Some, <laughs> some have suggested that the pharaoh's curse was biological in nature. Mm-hmm. Could sealed tombs uh, house pathogens that can be dangerous or even deadly to those who open them after thousands of years, especially people like Lord Carn- Carnivon, who had a weakened immune system. Now, the mausoleums, as we What the covered, hell was he doing opening tombs in Egypt if his immune system wasn't up to snuff? Because I am sure he is white man and nothing can take him down. He is the ultimate source of power and truth. Malaria, but... motherfucker. Okay, yes. I don't know so... if that's what he had, but... I'm not sure either. But, uh, as we covered again in episode six, uh, mausoleums house not only the dead bodies of humans uh, and animals, but foods to provision them for the afterlife. Right. Because they thought of everything. Which, again, amazing. So, lab studies have shown that some ancient mummies did carry mold, including Aspergillus niger and Aspergillus flavis. Mm-hmm. Which cause congestion or bleeding in the lungs. Lung-insulting bacteria such as Pseudomonas and Staphylococcus may also grow in tomb walls. So, oh, good. You can get a staph infection and black mold? Right? Yep. Oh, uh, so so you, exciting. Uh, can you imagine if one of the booby traps went off and you got an injury and then all of a sudden, boom, enter staph? Just saying. Well, not <laughs> it would probably not be antibiotic resistant. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, it would be a strand that they'd never dealt with. Um, well, but, so, I mean, that can only be good. Hit me with some uh, penicillin. <laughs> yes. It's never met uh, it before. <laughs> right. They've not partied together oh, Don't yet. hit me with penicillin. I'm allergic. But <laughs> Duly noted. In theory. <laughs> in theory. So these substances uh, may make tombs dangerous. Uh, some scientists seem to think they're not. So F. DeWolf Miller, who is a professor of ep- epidemiology at epidemiology, the of, yeah, at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, which yes, please, concurs with Har- Howard Carter's original opinion, given the local conditions. Lord Carnarvon was probably safer inside Tut's tomb than outside. Uh, I would think so. Upper Egypt in the 1920s was hardly what you'd call sanitary, Miller said. 
the idea that an underground tomb after 3,000 years would have some kind of bizarre microorganism in it that's going to kill somebody six weeks later and make it look exactly like blood poisoning is very hard to believe. In fact, Miller said he does not know of an archaeologist or a single tourist for that matter who has experienced any afflictions caused by tomb toxins. I still don't think they should fuck with them. No. So leave them alone. Right. So that's just a brief blurb on the science behind the curses. And I totally encourage a deeper dive into that. Um, and again, you know, there's there's more behind actual tomb curses. But most people associate tomb curses with the actual curses of the mummies themselves. So whether you believe in science, curses, or karma decided to punish colonizers accordingly... Much like the movie mummies who invoke the malediction, the legend of mummy's curse seems to be destined to never die. Well. And that's goodness. two curses, people. <laughs> um, okay. So, now that we've talked about very large containers uh, yes. that had possible curses on the outside... We're going to talk about relatively small containers that definitely did have curses on the inside. Whether Yay. or not they were effective, you could be the judge of that. Um, but they were definitely intentional. So Tiny curse talk. Yay! No, wait. No. I'm confused. I'm not <laughs> sure whether to cheer for them or against them. Oh, that's true. Um... <laughs> All right, well, and it gets complicated for several reasons. Now, first, what the fuck is a witch bottle, you may be thinking. <laughs> Perhaps. And the answer to that is they began as devices used to protect people from witchcraft. Oh. Uh, so when they were used by people who weren't witches... Um, technically, they're a hex-breaking spell. Um, yes. So, like, garlic around the neck against uh, vampires? It's grosser than that. Um, oh, joy. Way grosser. Um, <clears throat> and the name Witch Bottle also applies to bottles that witches use to cast spells, but that's yes. more modern. Um, okay. and is definitely not talking about the same thing as a historical witch bottle. And so about 200-ish witch bottles have been recovered from old buildings, churchyards, and riverbanks, and hearths, and inside of structure you know just oh, anywhere you might think of um, across Great Britain to date um, and most of them it's kind of small well and there's a reason for that it's because I suppose they're not large well and they also look like trash so you okay. wouldn't necessarily know what one was, but okay. we'll get there um, when I talk about what's in them, and that'll make a little bit more sense. Um, 
So, a, almost 200 exist in Great Britain, but fewer than a dozen have been found, um, or at least recognized for what they were, in the United States. So, early witch bottles were made out of salt-glazed stoneware jugs that were known as Bartman jugs. They were also quite delightfully known as Greybeards, or less delightfully, um, as Bellarmines after the Inquisitor, Robert Bellarmine. Um, So, yeah, that's nice. Um, I'm not really sure why these Bartman jugs were embossed with a bearded face, but they were, and they kind of look Hmm. like Santa Claus. (laughs) Um, yeah, so, so that is a thing, and that's what the earliest ones were made out of. Later, the bottles were made from glass bottles and vials and pretty much whatever glass container someone might, like, sealable glass container that someone might have lying around. Um, they were thought to protect a building against evil spirits, spells, and witches. Sometimes they were thought to remove curses. And rather than being magical devices themselves, they are counter-magical, which, for a thing that is a literal spell, is an interesting way to describe that. Right? so let me get these straight. Uh-huh. These are the same assholes that would burn you for practicing magic, but are going to practice magic to keep you at bay. Oh, I'm going there next, in fact. Oh, okay. So, Sorry. <laughs> apparently, witches or folk healers made these devices <laughs> that, for people that were meant to protect people from Witches. And there's a lot of eh, maybe either or with witch bottles. So I've also found reputable like JSTOR journal entries that say families made them together. Like there are like you do. I I'm not sure that there were rules being followed about witch bottles, but they were definitely being made. Um so what do you want for Christmas this year? A witch bottle. Uh, you don't. You don't with want Santa one. on. Okay. So when were they used, and what were they used for? Well, we covered that a little bit, but here's where I'm going to dive into it a bit further. So they were mostly used in 17th century England, and. The first written historical record seems to be from 1681 um, in Suffolk in Joseph Glanville's Seduscimus Triumphatus, or Evidence Concerning fun. Witches and Apparitions. <laughs> uh, is that still in publishment? Because that sounds amazing. I don't know, but I'm going to quote from it, so I'm guessing it must be. <laughs> Um, so there will be a few direct quotes, but I'm just going to hurry the story up a little bit because 
1681 was a meandering year for writing, it would seem. So basically, this old man stopped into the house of an acquaintance to see how he and his wife were doing. Mm -hmm. Like you do when you're, you know, passing a neighbor, whatever. Um, The man was fine, but his wife was in, quote, a long time languishing condition. Um, okay. Which sounds pretty much like I've been in this whole quarantine <laughs> period. But um, she was also being haunted by birds that flew around her face at night, interrupting her sleep. And apparently bird hauntings were a totally normal and not at all weird thing to tell some random dude who stopped in at your house. That's pretty much one of my, like, worst nights. Yeah, it's the first thing I tell visitors. Um, Birds flying at my face? No. No, no. Mm -mm. mm -mm. And so for his part, this random dude basically just shrugged and agreed that she was haunted. (laughs) 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 I mean, fair enough. Okay. Uh, And so because this entire conversation was already completely normal to begin with, the old man also happened to know how to get rid of this haunting. So this is a direct quote from the manuscript. He therefore advised him, him being the husband, to take a bottle and put his wife's urine into it, together with pins and needles and nails, and cork them up and set the bottle to the fire well corked, which, when it had felt a while the heat of the fire, began to move and juggle a little, for... But he, for sureness, took the fire shovel and held it hard upon the cork. So. So the urine was bubbling? Yeah. They they put the bottle in the fire and then held the top on with the shovel. Um, so continuing the, uh, the quotation. As he thought he felt something... One well on his side, another well on that, shove the fire shovel off, which he still quickly put on again. But at last, one shoveling the cork bounced out, and the urine, pins, nails, and needles all flew up and gave a report like a pistol, and his wife continued in the same trouble and languishment still. And so I'll translate a little bit here because this, at this time, English was still reasonably Germanic. And okay. this is a very Germanic construction. Um, uh. So what happened was they continued holding the cork onto this bottle while it's in the fire, and the husband started feeling weird supernatural things and ghosts in the blood ghosts yes and then he couldn't hold the fire shovel on the cork anymore and it exploded indoors 
throwing glass and urine and pins everywhere. So that's a party. Um, because it's a great idea to explode a witch bottle filled with needles and nails and urine indoors. Great idea. They're lucky they didn't get one in the eye. Well, they might Just have. Saying. I don't know. That's true. So the old man went away. apparently being unimpressed i don't know but the next time he stopped in he asked about the bottle of urine and sharp things finding out that it didn't go well he dropped yet another chunk of occult knowledge on this family (laughs) sorry how's your wife's pee going yeah Uh, so apparently according to him the ghost was just too wily but that was fine they just needed to you know bump it up to the next level thank you do and again quoting from the manuscript Take your wife's urine as before and cork it in a bottle with nails, pins, and needles and bury it in the earth and that will do the feat. The man did accordingly and his wife began to mend sensibly and in, <laughs> in a competent time was finally well recovered. Why wouldn't you lead with the burying? Uh, I'm getting there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So no, no, no. So, so that seems great, right? Mm-hmm. Except it turns out the story's not over. Oh. Um, okay. Apparently, the old man was a wizard, and he had bewitched this wife in the first place. Oh my. And so the counter spell, which was. The witch bottle buried in the ground. Also, that wizard that, uh, oh, whoops, sorry. Also killed, quote, that wizard that had bewitched her. Because, I, I don't know. And they only found out that this old man, the wizard, was dead when his pissed off wife showed up and informed them that they'd killed her <laughs> husband. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. She didn't seem bothered by the wife's, the young wife's bewitching. And really, there are so many ways to avoid bewitching people that I'm not entirely sure why she needed to be be bewitched to begin with. It doesn't seem that she did anything to the old man. I I could be wrong. Um... So the old man ultimately gave them the thing that would kill him? Yep, to solve the curse Uh. that he put on the woman for no apparent reason. Um, So my thought is, if you must both bewitch and visit the person you have bewitched, because you could have just not gone there. You could have just not entered the house. That would have been fine. Um, and if you know the counter spell is going to kill you, like, that old lady doesn't have anything to say. That's on the old man. It he is. made that it's... deathbed, and now he's going to lie in it. Literally. Truth. Yeah. I'm wondering, there's got to, I want to know what she did to piss him off now. Like, because then I mean, pr- probably something. There. 
I don't. It's gonna be something that it was worth him dying for. And, and now I get why he didn't leave wrong. with the bearing. There is an entire <laughs> category of witch bottle preparation specifically for cursed cattle. Not even kidding. Um, I love that. Yeah. So that is like a time period snapshot of a witch bottle in action but even the time period snapshots don't really make sense next to each other often um so there are a bunch of explanations about what witch bottles were supposed to actually do um so one comes from alan massey who was a retired chemist formerly at the University of Lowborough in the UK. And he says, quote, During the 17th century, British people often blamed witches for any ill health or misfortune they suffered. The idea that the witch bottle was to, th- was to throw the spell back onto the witch... And so the urine and the bulb of the bottle represented the waterworks of the witch, um, the waterworks of the witch. Uh, And the theory was that the nails and bent pins would aggravate her bladder, I guess, uh, when she passed water and torment her so badly that she would take the spell off you. So you're going to give a witch a UTI and be like, ha. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, this one's also kind of fun. This is another way that witch bottles were in theory used. Um, Mm -hmm. The witch bottle was usually made of pottery or glass and included sharp objects such as pins and bent nails. It typically contained urine as well, belonging to the homeowner, as a magical link to the property and the family within. For example, around the time of Halloween, homeowners might create a witch bottle to keep evil spirits from entering the home on Hallow's Eve. Okay. Yep. So that 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 is a that involves fewer UTIs. Um, it does. It also sounds some like sounds of like some very very early marking of territory. <laughs> I am fairly certain people, especially men, have peed on things that belong to them for <laughs> the entirety of human existence. It's yeah. sort of like licking the cookie and then it's yours. Um, Okay, so what's in them? Yes, tell me. We have a few bits and pieces, but early bottles almost always contained generally the same thing. So the victim of the evil spell or curse um, their urine, the hair or nail clippings of said victim, and a red thread from a sprite trap. And you may be wondering Uh at this moment, 
<laughs> what is a sprite trap? Well, sprite is apparently an older word for like spirit or ghost. Okay. And a sprite like trap is a magical ghost trap. And so without going down a rabbit hole that we could really go down, um, the ghosts eventually becomes entangled in the red thread. I assume also maybe the curse got entangled in the red thread. I am unclear about this. Maybe the ghost was cursing you. I'm not sure. But the red thread was the thing that was holding the malicious energy. So you're taking that malicious energy and putting it with the urine and the clippings and the hair? Yes. Um, So that's like power up. There was a lot of Weirdness? Um, <laughs> fire. Uh, later okay. on. Uh, okay. Um, we'll get there. So, later bottles might include rosemary um, okay. for protection, healing, purification. Um, Always planted by your front gate? Yes. My favorite part about rosemary, and I'm sure that you know this, is that... It often represents the dominance of the lady of the house. Yes. Because bad bitches grow evergreens. Yes. We got we got the pot. Well, and rosemary is poisonous at quantity. So, like, bad bitches are eating and seasoning with a thing that can kill you. So... That's going to be some merch in the future. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> All right. So the later bottles also included needles and pins because you got to have your sharp shit. And red wine seems to have been the liquid of choice. Um, okay. And. I mean, prevalent. Yeah. And so apparently after they were buried any evil would be impaled on the pins and needles, drowned by the wine, and sent away by the rosemary. Be gone Ooh. with you. Um, and there are lots of variations, and all of these are much more modern witch bottles. Probably not current witch bottles, because they aren't us- they aren't really made very often because they'll probably hurt you. Um, but you could also use seawater or soil or sand, so- stones, salt, vinegar, ashes, flowers, herbs, knotted threads, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> because anything it can go in your witch bottle. It's like those clean out your fridge meals, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so... And so it's the intent behind it. Like any spell. Right. right. And I mean knotted threads. Knotted thread spells are a thing. So they are. Presumably you're doing one of those and including it in this thing. Um, Again, just super funny. Yeah. The irony of... Exactly. 
And so sometimes, instead of burying the bottle, you get to throw it in the fire and watch it explode, which breaks the spell and or kills the witch. Ooh, I, okay. I don't know. Um, Russian roulette spell style? Yeah, and... <laughs> That the the throwing in the fire and everything exploding is also a huge part of those early witch bottles and, and a ridiculously dumb yeah, idea. Yeah, let's let's not do that. There is I mean like even just glass shards flying. Like I the one of the books that I was looking into is called um encyclopedia of 5,000 spells. And it actually has a warning about witch bottles. Oh, wow. That, like, that tells you that they will explode and that most people don't make them anymore because they can injure you and that you need to stand back. (laughs) Right. Mm. Bill Nye would have an issue. Let's not do that indoors. Like, consider for a moment that, like, bonfires are one thing as long as you take cover, but in your hearth, in your cottage i don't even know you're gonna set shit on fire or put out an eye or straight up kill yourself um and you would kind of have it coming yeah so that's fun so um which bottles aren't the only kind of bottled spells nor are they the only kind of home protection spells so witch marks are a really common um, home protection spell that I believe predate um, witch bottles and they are also often built into the structure of a thing and they're pretty readily identifiable and we should probably do an episode on those at some point um, but you can also use protection oils on all ingresses and egresses mm-hmm. Or broom spells. I personally have a broom spell as a protection spell for my home. And Natalie, you can probably see it right behind me. I do me. see your broom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also put black moonstones in all four corners of your dwelling. Uh, Big ass chunk of black tourmaline or amethyst. That'll do it too. And approximately two million or so more other things. But witch bottles, man, they were popular. Yeah, I don't know. And so I would like to tell you about some of my favorite witch bottles that have been found. Ooh, tell me. I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. So... It might seem strange, but because most witch bottles were likely mistaken for trash or were broken, it looks like the first witch bottle to ever be scientifically studied was found by archaeologists from the Maritime Trust in Greenwich, uh, England, in 2004. Wow. Yeah. 
And so it was buried 1.5 meters under the ground, which is about five feet, and I'm somewhat unclear about why they were down that far. Right. Um, the maritime folks were maritime preservationists. <laughs> so, I mean, and ships were buried. Like, that's a thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not really sure what they were doing. Um, Calculations, perhaps, off? Yeah. But they x-rayed it and found pins stuck in the neck. Uh, and I like that their first thought was, huh, there, here's a sealed bottle. And they shook it, and it sluiced around a little bit and jingled a little bit. Let's and they were like, it. I know. We're going to x-ray this shit. <laughs> and so... They x-rayed it, and they found pins that were stuck in the neck, um, so that suggested that it was actually buried upside down. I couldn't okay. find any information on why this would have happened. I mean, it would make it more structurally sound. It would. Because um, it's... But also, couldn't they have just stuck the pins in there before they corked it? They did. Oh, okay. They were inside. Well, I mean, they were I... stuck in, like, in the right. bottleneck. Oh, okay. I thought it was like stuck into the cork. No, no, like, no. That would it, take a lot from of the inside trajectory. Um, gotcha. They were stuck in like the bottleneck of right. right. Uh, it's a uh, it's a torpedo shaped gotcha. item, I believe. Oh no, this one isn't. This one's just regular bottle shaped. I'm still thinking wine bottle, so I get yeah. it. Yeah. Um. So once they saw the pin stuck in the neck, they're like, I know tomography scans next Ooh, I, they must have been to play with? bored I don't know right. <laughs> um, and if you aren't familiar with tomography if you are not an anatomy geek um, tomography are those cross section scans that use either x-ray or ultrasound so you might see them of the brain or various things but they did it on a witch bottle nice like you do. Uh, and they found that it was half filled with what would later be identified as human urine. <clears throat> yep. Also making an appearance were bent nails and pins, a nail-pierced leather heart, which is the most metal thing I have ever heard. Right? Yeah. Fingernail clippings navel fluff i'm real uh, unsure uh, how they knew that was that um right yeah i whatever and hair um there was also Could probably some sulfur or brimstone added because the um chemical remnants of the breakdown of that was yeah. in the urine so I wonder if they could extract DNA from any of that. From urine? Uh, no, from the hair. Uh, oh, uh, well, I suppose if or it had um, the root attached. That'd be a fun path to go down. I don't think they did, but maybe they did. I don't know. Um, so, because these are scientists, or at least... Yeah, I, I'm not sure if 
Oh, they're, they are archaeologists. So they are scientists. I was making sure that they were not um, amateur archaeologists, which comes up later and is an interesting take on things. So they were also able to find out something about the person who had made it, or at least for whom okay. it was made. Um, the person who made it was a smoker because okay. they found um, byproducts of tobacco in the urine. Okay. Um, the well-manicured nail clippings also suggested that the person was of high social standing. So, interesting. Indeed. Yeah, so that is... That is the most scientifically studied one that I have found. Uh, My next favorite is a witch bottle found in a pub in Northamptonshire, Britain. Anything found in a pub has got to be cool. Yeah. So it was found in a chimney um, (laughs) as it was being demolished during the renovation of a former pub called the Star and Garter Inn, which is now a private home. Okay. Sounds like a bad idea, but um, but all right. (laughs) And this one is torpedo-shaped, so it kind of looks like a sex toy. Um, <laughs> it, it looks like exactly what you think it does. Or it, or a darning egg. It could also look like an, an especially long darning egg. Um, so it was probably placed in the chimney because the person placing it thought that the fire from the chimney's heat would bend the pins, which they believed would stop the witch from casting spells on its target. So apparently that's Mm -hmm. another thing. I keep getting these little bits and pieces of lore, and there don't seem to be any hard and fast rules for how they work. Um, So this one was also still wax-sealed, and which is interesting yeah. because of the heat well it must n- i mean brick it's is insulated really up. right and i'm not sure where on the chimney it was it didn't say it I, had to be pretty high up yeah but then well i'm not and i'm also not sure if what they mean is the hearth okay like it yeah there it's questionable and some of the sources are too so, um, another theory for why it was placed in the chimney was that it would stop a witch from entering the dwelling because apparently witches like to enter buildings by way of chimney. Which seems like a lot of trouble to go to to me. I, I, that's a than I heard, I, but, you know. I don't think I have ever heard that either about witches. So I don't know if that's Mary Poppins style or if we're Santa styling it. I mean, or... I would certainly say that Mary Poppins is a witch. 
Definitely. Or Time Lord, because that bag is definitely bigger on the inside. Fair. Maybe both. Right? All right. So. Next, we go to a bottle from the U.S. Oh. And it's a Civil War era witch bottle. Okay. And so archaeologists from the William Mary Center for Archaeological Research, known as the WMCAR, uh, and the Virginia Department of Transportation, announced <laughs> it, right <laughs> announced the discovery of a witch bottle on the site of the Civil War Battle of Williamsburg. The reason the Department of Transportation was involved is because it was under an overpass. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was found near a hearth in a fort that was built by enslaved people for Confederate soldiers in 1861, and that fort was later taken over by Union troops. The WMCAR believes this to show that the superstitions brought over by British immigrants, who would then be fighting on the Union side uh, for the Civil War, survived into the 19th century. Now, the artifact was discovered at... Readout 9, um, one of 13 satellite fortifications that were all originally built by enslaved people to protect Mm. Fort Magruder, which was the mother fort of these satellite forts, from Union assault. So that that is the context of the chain of evidence like gotcha and makes uh this next part make a little more sense so an amateur anthropologist carla lynn hall claims that instead of being made by superstitious union soldiers that the bottle is actually a hoodoo spell bottle that was buried by enslaved people who had run away. And Hall believes that it seems unlikely that the bottle was placed by a soldier because of its contents. And it's... WMCAR begs to differ. And so, um, similar to a witch bottle, a hoodoo spell bottle is a bottle filled with nails and urine that is buried under a doorstep. The placement of this incorporates, um, foot track magic from certain areas of Africa and hoodoo itself is a combination of magical practices 
coming together um, usually by brought together by enslaved people from different areas in Africa. There are specific areas involved, and I will say right now that I am not a practitioner of hoodoo, and I don't I don't want to sound like I'm speaking as an expert on any of this because I don't know the specific practices nor mm-hmm. do I know the specific history. So Which is fair. Um but this is what uh the amateur anthropologist Carla Lynn Hall thinks happened and the reason that that would be possible is because enslaved people often had to tend to uh, sanitation duties um, specifically burying the dead and at the time that would give them the means to collect the items that were in the the bottle and the items in it from the battlefield um, and bury it without being noticed. So I don't know the answer because I don't feel like there's enough in situ historical context um, to really make a solid guess, but it's possible that the actual team of archaeologists have a lot more information than was shared in many, many, many articles, some of which are um, in very reputable sources. So, And those are the ones that don't believe it was a hoodoo bottle? Yes. Right? I'm kind of I mean, obviously, I'm no expert either, but I I would imagine, given the amount of uh, archaeological activity on uh, former battlefields and forts and... They wouldn't... I would think... Yeah. They wouldn't have been be looking than, for them. They wouldn't have been looking for them, but they would have probably stumbled across more than one... I don't but know. if they were broken or they looked door. like oh, trash, true. I mean, trash was buried. That's true. So I don't know. It's it's complicated, and I don't have it a is. good answer. But I could, I could see making an argument in either direction. But I yeah. have to take a few more leaps to get to the hoodoo spell bottle explanation. But again, I yes. also know very, very little about that magical tradition. So Correct. there could be I guess I would... something wildly obvious that I'm missing. Sure. I guess I would want to know more of the credentials of Miss Amateur Archaeologist, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. As to... Um, so... It's interesting either way. Yeah. So my absolute favorite story of a found witch bottle is very short. Um, It comes from the British version of Antiques Roadshow, 
Uh, when, while filming in Cornwall in 2016, one of the appraisers mistook a bottle containing urine, rusty brass pins, and human hair for old port and took no! a sip. <laughs> and there is video of. Exactly. There, How dark there is, was that urine, though? There is video of this expert appraiser being told what it is by an expert in that subject after everything had been tested. I, need to, I, I want to look that video up. Oh, oh I, I will link to it in the show notes. Yeah. How dark, though, was that urine? Because port is pretty dark. Well, I mean, it had rusty nails in it. Oh, true, true. I forgot about that. So, um, yeah. Good lord. <clears throat> so, also, though, I, I wait. Yeah, drinking foreign like <laughs> just. I, I'm just. It's not up there with summoning and desecrating yeah. and I bodies. I don't think that that part actually made it on the show. Just <laughs> the later part, because I couldn't find any clips of the actual filming in 2016 i just found the 2019 clips of him learning about his mistake that is amazing yeah so um to wrap it up i want to quickly talk about modern witch bottles they've largely fallen out of favor because you're more likely to be injured by the bottle than by whatever curse you're trying to solve with it. <laughs> um, I looked at several spells for protection bottles that were more um, involved than the ones that keep that have been found that we've talked about, which seem probably more like folk magic and like okay. local wise people as opposed to specifically witchcraft. Um, okay. But the spells that I looked at contain things like poisonous castor beans and mercury. Oh, and cool. <laughs> broken glass to add to the nails and pins and God knows what that you're already putting in this glass-filled bottle with fill-in-the-blank bodily fluid, um, sometimes urine, sometimes menstrual blood. It depends on, yeah, it depends on the point of, uh, that you are trying to make. Um, Definitely not port. No, no, <laughs> certainly not. And these no longer used very poisony spells, or hopefully no longer used. Don't use them. Um, right. Often, still, like the earlier ones involved throwing a glass bottle filled with pins, needles, and glass into a fire to explode. Which, as we have earlier 
learned is especially exciting when you're doing a version that happens indoors over a fireplace. So, that's fun. Um, Definitely questionable life choices. Yeah. And so there are modern spells that are made in containers. Yes. But there's a lot more of them hanging out or possibly being poured as an offering um, or maybe being ingested, depending on what it is. Um, But they're usually called jar spells and there's significantly less fire and exploding and shrapnel. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Although that would be a good use for them during the Civil War. I mean. Yeah, but I don't know that you could get away fast enough. Because, I mean... This was trench warfare, but it was, like, early trench warfare. Yeah. And, I mean, people were still walking up to other people and stabbing them with swords and bayonets and shit. (laughs) Right. So, anyway, that is the very, very long and not at all complete look at witch bottles. That was exciting. And totally different than what I thought. Like, in my head, I've seen the little, what would be more equivalent to uh, jar spells. Especially, like, on Witch Talk right now, there's a lot of little, you know, oh, you put this together and it's a little, you put it on your altar or you put it by your desk. And they're calling them, like, modern witches are calling them witch bottles. Often, like, that phrase is coming back into fashion. I think it's but it sounds cuter. It does. It's uh Yeah. Definitely not. But historically nasty. they uh <laughs> are used against witches, not by them. So I still just find it really frickin' funny that, you know, these people who are anti witch are using magic against right? witches. And it didn't contain holy water, it was your urine. Like I mean, it's not like you could get to the Pope whenever you needed a refill of holy water. Also, I they suppose. weren't Catholic. True, true, true. I mean, we're we're talking what? about Protestant Dude, pilgrims. Holy, hmm? holy water only a Catholic thing? Uh, yeah, like it's blessed I... by the Pope. That's how it turns holy. Huh? Yeah, and the Pope can mass bless gigantic tankers of water and then the whole thing becomes holy water that's so funny yeah i (laughs) don't know why i know that having not grown up uh maybe lutherans also do holy water i don't know i i grew up pseudo-catholic and i didn't know that so (laughs) i grew up in the baptist church so we had water but it wasn't that kind oh yeah this is the swimming kind uh, well, well, sometimes it happened in lakes. There are indoor baptismals. <laughs> there are, in fact. Uh, yeah. So the only time I ever step foot into Catholic church uh, anymore as adult is uh, for I would take the girls 
to my parents' church for the kids' Christmas Eve mass. Sure. And uh, we would go up into the crying room, and they were like, I want to say like seven and eight mm-hmm. around there. And we were in the crying room, and people look at us like, uh, your kids are a little old for the crying room. And I'm looking back, and I'm like, just hold on. They're not, they're new to this. Uh, and uh, the first time, they were very upset. There was no birthday cake. Uh, oh. They were like, I thought oh. this was a birthday thing. Oh. Where's the cake? And then the second time, uh, my youngest looks over, and there was a baptismal pool there, which was not there when I grew up in that church. And uh, thankfully, this was before the mass had started because she very loudly then declared, Mom, they've got a hot tub. <laughs> and <laughs> there and I looked at everybody who had glared at me for having older children in the crying room and then went, this is why my children are up here and <laughs> not disturbing the mass below. Yes, yes. Oh, that's funny. The uh, My most recent... I would say encounter with the baptismal was um, picking up my CSA share at a church in Brooklyn, and the baptismal pool had been infested by mosquitoes. Oh, (laughs) no. And so the entire church was filled (laughs) with mosquitoes. No. It, it It was really... I don't understand why they didn't do something about that because it was that way for the entire CSA season. This was several years ago, but I was gonna say I could see if they were having trouble getting uh, holy water shipped in or whatever. I don't but, think uh, you no. you fill a baptismal with like tub taps. Okay, then there's no excuse for that. They although seriously. I don't know what denomination this church was so maybe they do need holy water and they're like oh, shit we're not wasting that even if there are mosquito larvae in it i mean they could have just gotten a bunch of goldfish take right care of that problem right just saying oh that's see that's super smart yeah nobody the ever asks me weird. they should always we've we've established they could should at very least consult with us on most things yeah i mean they'd have to install a filter because goldfish are messy, but they would take right care of that mosquito problem. You go, you go to the Walmart and you get a couple of those twenty-five cent feeder goldfish. Yep. Somehow those always outlive every other freaking fish. And well, it's because they aren't bred to be structurally unsound, <laughs> right? <laughs> that really yeah. is true. Fancy goldfish, their in their internal organs are a mess. Oof. Yeah. But, yeah. So, well, we've solved that problem for them. You're welcome. Right. Oh, my goodness. We'll send them a bill. (laughs) So that, I think, brings us to the weekly worst way to die. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) All right. So what's yours? I think you can probably guess. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, would be projectiles from an exploding witch bottle. I think that would suck a lot. That that would indeed. And I was on the fence about what I was going to go with. 
Uh, and you have firmly flipped me over to getting pecked to death by birds while trying to sleep. Because <laughs> I have a weird thing with birds that has several stories leading up to it uh, for another time. <laughs> but I cannot I'm, wait. You know that I have a thing I'm with birds, too, <laughs> and that I love them. Right, but only see, here's the thing. So... Exa- there are certain birds that just know, but the ones that I like are the ones that actually could kill me. Like the birds of prey, I dig. Yeah, well, they don't want any Polly part of parak- you. And if you do, they win. Right? Polly the parakeet? No, no. Ab- absolutely not. So I they guess just it would bite. Be- yeah, oh, they do. They do. I say as so, a person uh, with two kittens. <laughs> and teeth marks on everything but yeah no i'm with you i i like a bird who could outsmart me if i tried to get it so like crows real smart ravens real smart and they have generational memory Mm -hmm. so like if you show if you scare a murder of crows while wearing a horrific mask. Their like great great grandchildren will know and recognize to be afraid of that mask. I'm not entirely which, sure how that works. Which see how well, that's cool a bird that? I can hang with. Seriously, like that. Yep, that's amazing too. Did you know that blue jays little... are corvids? Really, I did not. Yeah. I did not. Jays. Also, anyway, huh? So um, that was Corvid Corner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you want to talk birds? Want to be spooky, internet friends? Yeah. <laughs> you can find you can find us at Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also check us out at bonesandbobbins.com. Yes, that is true. All of it. Do come say hi to us on social media, please. Yes, please. We're very friendly. Yeah, and also, like, our Twitter numbers are kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) And while you are making us feel a little bit better about ourselves, um, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. It pleases the internet gremlins when you do, and that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls, such as yourself, can find us and then have Corvid Corner. (laughs) Bring forth the morbid soul. It also (laughs) lets us know if there's stuff we need to work on. Yeah. (laughs) Please do. We take it all. Yep. Yes. So... On that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never, ever forget. Yes. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. Yay! (laughs) Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts 
follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.